We're all on the spars, but <laughs> we're not. We're not one bit happy. That's uh, us on this boat, and we're not one bit happy. For immediate reaction from around the grounds, catch League of Ireland late night every Friday, 10 p.m. on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off the Ball. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. We could have done with some effortless finishing from the Republic of Ireland last night. Unfortunately, it was not to be. Jonathan Wilson, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Um, Eamon Dunphy is writing in the uh, Star today that he was basically crying watching England and the impact that uh, Rice and Grealish had and what what might have been for the Republic of Ireland. So we're, we're kind of doing a bit of um, living vicariously through the English football team at the <laughs> moment in this piece. Uh, it turns out Jack Grealish is good at, good, he's good at international football anyway. He's good at coming off a bench in certain games in international football. I think, I think that's probably a, a fair way of putting it. Um... I, I still think, and it's, a, it's, it's sort of a, a sort of diluted version of the issues he's had at City, that Southgate demands those those wide forwards uh, fulfil their defensive responsibilities. There's quite clear roles for them in blocking the opposition fullbacks. And I think still a doubt remains for him uh, on, on how good Grealish is at doing that. And I, I think that interview Grealish gave on the pitch after the final day of the season at, when, when City had won the title, which was one of the more extraordinary interviews I've seen, well, he, he basically admitted that and said, you know, he's really trying, but he finds it difficult. And now he's finally, he's, 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 he's second guessing himself. And so the thing that made him great at, at Villain, that made him so effective against Germany on um, Tuesday night, was that he, he's worried about taking a player on because he's worried about losing the ball. And he knows that will annoy Guardiola and to a lesser extent Southgate. So I, I, I think given the, given the depth of talent England have in those positions, and that probably, to be honest, doesn't include Jared Bowen, who also made an impact off a bench on Tuesday. Uh, I would su- suggest his, his role for England is, uh, is, is probably as an impact sub when England need to, to, to break the pattern of the game. And his dribbling ability clearly is a great asset in doing that. So he's, he's a plan B uh, in case of emergency break glass? Well, I, I, no, I, I think it's... Because that suggests you, you'd only... You, you know, a plan B suggests he's not part of... Well, by definition, he's not part of plan A. I think he's a subsidiary part of plan A. Okay. He's the part of plan A you come to after sort of 60, 65 minutes when opposing defences are, are tired, when the shape of the game is formed. And if you want to break that shape, if it's useful to you to break that shape, he, he's a great asset to have. And I don't think that is... I think, I think we have a, have a sort of hangover from, from the days even before substitutes or before two substitutes when a specialised substitute role was seen as, as sort of almost demeaning to a player. But actually, I, I think I think now we we need to be a bit smarter than that. We need to say a game is 90 minutes or perhaps 120 minutes long and you're allowed five substitutes and that means you've got 16 players you can deploy at various times. And it may be that the best value of this particular player is not to start the game, but is after an hour or you know, in a certain circumstance. And, and that's specialised role. I don't think there should be any any shame in that. I mean, you know, a, a sort of slightly more uh, sort of pedestrian example of that was when West Brom had Shane Long and, and Lukaku. And often Long would start with run the legs off a defence, Lukaku would come on and Lukaku would score because the defence was knackered or, or the other way around. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't... I get that players still want to start games want to play as many minutes as possible. But... I think when you when you have a squad with the depth of an England squad or a modern elite squad, um, I don't think there, there, there should be any shame in those specialised roles. The five substitutes is really the game changer in that 
aspect though because there's been instances before where a player like Grealish is on the bench somebody gets sent off or injured early and suddenly one of the subs options is gone and then all of a sudden it's like oh and then he doesn't get off the bench you're like hang on a second that could have changed the game for you but now with five subs you're always going to have room to make that substitute and you can promise somebody in advance look you're going to have 35 minutes here make sure you're paying attention to what's going on keep an eye out for anything and you'll be ready to go after the hour yeah absolutely and and of course there's the flip side of that which is the impact on the player who starts uh, because I mean, and particularly those those wide areas where you have to track the, the opposing fullbacks and you can you can say to those wide players just just chase them just run if you're knackered after 55 minutes that doesn't matter because we've got Jack Reedus can come on or Bakaya Saka can come on or, or whoever look at the bench we've got lots of players can play in your position so run yourself out yeah, destroy that fullback as much as you can in the first hour and when you're knackered, you can come off. And they're unlikely to want to use one of those substitutes to replace a fullback. And therefore, we've got a tired fullback against one of our, our lads who's, who's fresh. And, and I think given England have that, you know, we, we, we've sort of almost become, the, the way the narrative's gone in, in, in England recently has been, it's always, ah, oh, it's, it's such a shame we've got this depth in wide areas that, you know, why couldn't we have another centre-back? Or why couldn't we have a slightly more reliable keeper? Or why couldn't we have a backup to Harry Kane? And, and, and all of that is true. But... It is a strength, so I, I think using it and saying, right, one of these players is going to play for an hour and he's going to run himself silly and he's going to destroy the fullback by doing that, and then we bring on somebody else. That is a strength, and you know, we should embrace that and use the, 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 the strength we have. Uh, Jonathan, we know, the atta- we know the attacking talent that you've mentioned that, that this England team and Gareth Southgate are, are blessed with, but um, like th- that, that formation that we saw working to such great effect in, in the Euros, that 3-5-2 that, that led them all the way, all the, way to the final... Seems to now be from watching him the other night be in favour of this more attacking four two three one. Obviously, Southgate has the the problem of trying to cram in as many of these attacking players as he possibly can. But do you think that could be to the detriment of the team ultimately that they're almost leaving behind the the system that led them to to such great success in the Euros? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think the formation in Germany was was pretty experimental, and I, I'd be surprised if he maybe he tries against Italy, but I I. I, I I'd be surprised if that's a long-term plan. I think what we've seen over the past sort of year, 18 months, and certainly at the Euros, is if Southgate thinks England will dominate possession, he'll play a 4-3-3, and that allows him to get in one one more attacking player. If he thinks there's going to be a contest for possession or that England aren't going to be able to dominate it, he plays the, the back three, whether that's a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3. Uh, you know, he seems to like, even when it's a 3-4-3, it tends to be Sterling playing almost off Kane. Sterling hasn't played the last two games. So the, the Hungry game and the Germany game have been slightly different anyway. Uh, so I was, I was simultaneously surprised that he played the back three against Hungary because that's a game where I think you would expect to dominate possession. And I think that was possibly conditioned by the, how poor the performance was against Hungary at Wembley in the Nations League uh, last year. Um, was it the Nations League? Was that a qualifier? No, it was a qualifier, sorry, in, in, the, in, the, in the qualifier last year. Uh, and then I was surprised he went with the back four against Germany. I, I, I thought he would, it would always be a back three against a team of Germany's quality. And I think one of the reasons England got passed around as much as they were in, in that first sort of hour or so was that they didn't have the, the extra man at the back. And I, I think to an extent that was Southgate proving to himself and, and maybe some of his critics that we're not good enough to play a back four against a team of Germany's quality. And the fact that he was then able to, to change the game and, and in a positive way so that England could have nicked it at the end. I mean, it would have been a smash and grab, but they could have nicked it at the end. You, I think the, 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 the biggest criticism you could have of Southgate 
uh, has been his in-game management. The, the, the Croatia semi-final when when the Croatian wing-backs pushed forward and England started to be overmanned in midfield and Jordan Henderson was sort of running shuttles across the pitch, chasing the ball hopelessly. And then the, the, the final of the Euros against Italy when beginning that second half, you could feel momentum shift and Southgate didn't really react to that until the crucial goal had been conceded. Well, here was an instance of him in a game changing things and it working and England getting back into it. Most countries kind of look on fairly jealously, uh, Jonathan, particularly at the English, um, how stacked it is at right back. And and you see the other night, I mean, you think of the likes of, of Rhys James and Trent Alexander-Arnold, who you would expect would get into most international teams uh, across the world. And then you see another right back in Kieran Trippier being adopted at left back. Like, are you surprised to see someone like Kyle Walker still operating at, at right back? He's probably more used to being that right side at centre half himself of late. But with all the, the depth of talent they have in that position, uh, is there any surprise among English fans, media, that, that Kyle Walker is still the man being preferred there? I don't think so. I mean, the, the great thing that Walker gives you, um, you know, all four are excellent right backs. So in a sense, it doesn't really matter which of the four it is. Trippi is used on the left because with, with Chilwell being injured or just coming back from injury, the, the, there isn't an equivalent figure on the left. So he, you know, in, in that sense, Trippier takes care of himself. Walker's pace is such an asset. And, and you, I mean, if you think back to the Germany game at the Euros, there's a couple of occasions when Walker's pace got England out of jail. Uh, and that allows them to be slightly more aggressive. I mean, they're still not that aggressive, but slightly more aggressive in the press and, and playing a slightly higher line because Walker's pace and Pickford's aptitude in leaving his line uh, mean that they, they can afford to leave a little bit more space there. So, yeah, he's playing for Manchester City. He's playing for the, the league champions. He's a very, very good right back. But it's his pace that maybe just sets him above the others. Uh, in Southgate's mind, I think there's a. I think if there's clearly a the fourth choice now is Alexander Arnold, and you know, performance against Hungary was was pretty poor, I, and, and I think that's that's not really an issue with him so much as that the way he plays for Liverpool, you need a very high press because he will leave space behind him, and that's not a criticism. You know, he should leave space behind because he's so good going forward. He's so good at linking with with Mohamed Salah. Yeah, you know, was it twelve assists in the Premier League last season? You know, his crossing is exceptional. So you want him to be using those parts of his game, but for him to do that, there will be space behind him. Now, you you'd think in a in a wing back system that should work, because you may have a right side centre back, possibly Carl Walker covering behind him, and that's something I'd I'd quite like to see England try. Although not a huge amount of time now before the World Cup to try that. But if it's a if it's a back four. Uh, England just don't press as hard. They don't press as high. And what that means is that opposing midfielders have time to measure a pass into that space. So the great example of this is when Liverpool lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League last season, um, when, you know, when they lost 3-1 in Madrid. And the first two goals both came from Tony Cross not being pressed because Liverpool's press last season was, was all over the place at that stage. Not being pressed, being able to measure those passes in behind Alexander-Arnold. And, and, and he, he then couldn't get back. Uh, and 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 so Alexander Arnold, his way of playing at Liverpool works because of the rest of the Liverpool system. The way England play is very different to that. And in international football, you don't have the time to generate that that sophistication of, of press that you have at Liverpool. So England can't really play like that. So England, you know, almost by definition, as an international team, they can't get the best out of Alexander Arnold. Although, as I say, possibly there would be an opportunity at right wing back. But that's not the system he's used to playing, and that that would take adaptation. That would take time. They've really got to try that, though, right? Because he's so spectacularly good. It, I mean, there's a world in which he might not even make the squad. Is there for the World Cup? 
I, I think there's definitely a world which doesn't make the squad. Um, I mean, do they have to try it? Um, I say I think Reese James defensively is better, and that's not to do with positioning. That's to do with just in one-on-one duels. I think Reese James is a is a better player. Um, he's not he's not quite as good on the ball, but he's not you know he's a good crosser. I think you saw with Chelsea last season when when he was injured, a, a lot of that supply down the right disappeared. So. Um, I mean, you can argue which is the better better all-round player, Alexander-Arnold or Rhys James. But I think you can certainly make the case that Rhys James is is the better all-round defensive player who, who can also get forward. So, uh, I mean, you, could, you can play Rhys James on the right side of three centre-backs as well. There's that option, which again speaks of England's strength. But I, I, I mean, I, I'd like to see it tried, I guess, is, is, is what I'm saying. But... I, I don't. I'm also uneasy about this idea that just because a player plays really well at club level, that means he has to be in the national squad. Now, for a long time for England, that was the case because England just didn't have enough players. But England are in this very, very happy position at the minute where they probably have 40 or 50 players who would be totally reasonable members of a, of a World Cup squad. And when that's the case, I, I think we've got to get beyond this idea of handing out international caps, like there were sort of blue Peter badges or something, a reward for playing well. It's not. It's that you've got the team, you've got the squad, and then you've got to think of it like a club manager. If I go out and bring in this player who I don't have to pay any money for, which is obviously the difference, but is he going to make the squad better? Is it, what, what is he going to do in that squad that's going to improve the overall performance of the, of the team and, and then the overall balance of the squad? And... If a player's not going to do that, if he's going to complicate things tactically, if he's going to mean you have to deviate from the, from the way you've been playing, and a way of been playing that has taken England to two semi-finals back to back, having been in two in the previous fifty years, so you know you can't say it's not working. The, the, then you know, I, I think maybe you do leave out some some exceptional players who are playing well in the Premier League, and Alexander Arnold may be one of them. There's also the argument he could possibly play in midfield in extremis. So he's worth having in the squad um, as, a, as a sort of utility player. And the fact that Trippi can play on either side, James Justin can play on either side, although he didn't play brilliantly against Hungary. Um, and so there are options there that you can sort of burgle two places mm. through through one player. All right. Uh, Jonathan, just a final just a final one for me. Uh, and this is something that, that kind of came up to my in my head because of Harry Kane reaching this, this milestone 50th goal for England the other night. I think he's only a few off Wayne Rooney's record now. Uh, we had one of our colleagues on Off the Ball, Nathan Murphy, talk, describing uh, during the week Gareth Bale as the greatest British footballer since Bobby Charlton, which um, got a mixed reception. A lot of people agreeing, a lot of people disagreeing and giving their own picks. Throwing you under the bus here and kind of uh, uh, bringing this one to you without uh, prior warning. But um, if you had to pick a, a greatest Brit- British footballer of all time or even since Bobby Charlton, would you go along the, the Gareth Bale lines or uh, have another pick? Uh, I think Kenny Dalglish should be pretty upset by that. Um, if you want to say, is he the greatest since Dalglish? Uh, there's an argument for it. I, I mean, it's, it's an impossible question, isn't it? What, what are you judging on? If you're judging it on international performances, then, then Kane has been exceptional for England. I mean, 50 goals at a, at a far faster rate than Mooney or, or, or indeed Gary Lineker or Charlton is incredible. He's been a golden boot at the World Cup. Um, yeah, he, he's he's been brilliant for England. He's been brilliant for Spurs, but it Spurs, yeah. He's not. He hasn't been winning Champions Leagues in the way that, that Gareth Bale has. Um, I don't know. I mean, the way Bale sort of has become a bit part player at, at Madrid does that count against him? 
I, I don't know. I mean, these questions are, are very, very difficult to answer because it entirely depends what your terms are. I mean, if, if I can completely deflect and say, who's the greatest Argentinian player of all time? Is it the bloke who won the World Cup? But only won two league titles in his, uh, three league titles in his entire career. Or is it the bloke who hasn't won a World Cup but has won 13 league titles and five Champions Leagues? You know, Argentinians would still say it's Maradona. So, I, you know, it's it's very... It entirely depends what, what your parameters are. Kane's been great. Bale's been great. Kenny Oglish, I think, would would probably uh, like to be in that conversation as the greatest since Oglish rather than the greatest since Charlton. You would have Kenny up there with the two lads, definitely. Yeah, okay, yeah absolutely. Right, okay. I, mean, yeah, yeah. I only but saw the very end of Kenny Dalglish, like the last couple of seasons, so I, I'm kind of unfamiliar with just how great he was. I mean, yeah, uh, won, what, three European Cups with him? Uh, six league titles? Seven, six league titles, I think, as a player. Uh, maybe maybe five. Um, yeah, his his link up with Rush. Was, but, I mean, Rush has got an argument there as well. I mean, Rush was, was a, I think, we, we don't realise now how good Rush was because part of the thing he did was his pressing. But in those days, we didn't really talk about pressing. Uh, you know, the way we consumed football in, in the early 80s was was by highlights. And highlights obviously don't show you the forwards chasing the fullback. Um, so, yeah, th- that that front pairing, I think, is is, is arguably the, the, the greatest front pairing in, in English league history. So, right. so yeah. I, that's, I mean, a, that's an even better conversation that you started for us this morning, John. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I, I kind no, of yeah, drifted off. But uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of the thing I always think about these conversations about who's who's the best, who's the greatest, is not actually what answer you come to. It's it's what what is your method? What, what are you actually analysing there? Mm. And it's clearly not just about goals or trophies won. Or, emotion. It's all about emotion and love, well, isn't it? That's ultimately what did you what did you enjoy more, Maradona in eighty uh, six or Messi's career? And then for a lot of people who saw Maradona, it's going to be Maradona forever because that's the thing that made them fall in love with football. Yeah, you know, it, it is. It, it's sort of that. And it's also about narrative and it's about sort of which one most conform. Yeah, I think one of the things um, that, that almost counts against Messi is it seems so easy for him. And I'm sure it's not. But Maradona, you could see the struggle. And I think we like to think of our geniuses as being these tortured figures who, who have to sort of personally suffer for their talent. Whereas Messi just seems to drift along being brilliant every week. I mean, maybe less so at PSG, but in his Barcelona days... Yeah, he, he seems entirely unruffled. Yeah, which almost suggests, yeah, in terms of in football terms, he's a greater genius because he doesn't have that that offset. But in terms of an idea of what's what makes a story, what's a story you want to tell? Yeah, Maradona fits that far more because of the the enormous cost that, that, that his genius brought on him. For sure, and and also the fact that the defenders could break his ankle at any time and did on a couple of occasions. Jonathan, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. OTB. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.